a thief, a murderer, an adulteress. But one encounter with Jesus changed everything. One encounter. I had somebody pray. Father, I pray that you'd encounter us today. That we would see that you are indeed the God of the broken. And that we are the broken in need of a God. I pray, God, that you would open our eyes, our hearts, our ears, to hear your word, to hear your truth. And in this powerful story we look at in your word, that you would powerfully transform us and encounter us and that we would leave here today different than we came because we encountered you and you encountered us right here. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I love the statement in that video that we just saw. That what if Jesus encountered those people not in spite of their brokenness, but because of it? And I'm grateful for it because, truthfully, truthfully, guys, we are the broken. I am broken. You are broken. We, too, are in need of God's kindness, his mercy, and his love. And one encounter, many of us in this room have experienced that. And one encounter with Jesus changes everything. It changes us. And so I'm very glad, so glad that God is a God of the broken. Today we're going to take a look at a story found in Luke chapter 7. If you've got your Bible, turn there. Luke, the seventh chapter, and it's a story of what I'm calling the party-crashing sinful woman. And you'll understand what's going on here in just a moment. I've included her in this Not-So-Cool-Cats-of-the-Bible series, which, by the way, we're finishing today, because no self-respecting person would have anything to do with that woman. But Jesus did. He did. Pick it up in Luke chapter 7, verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now, the Pharisees... If you don't know, they're the religious guys. They're the ultra-religious guys in that, that time. They considered themselves separatists. They were holier and better than everybody else. Uh, they were the, the guys that had it all figured out. And this guy, it would have been normal for him to invite an itinerant rabbi, a, a guy like Jesus, because he wants to get the praise. Oh, yeah, I have Jesus in my house. He invites him to come. And it says they reclined because in that day and age, they didn't sit in chairs like we do eat meals. They reclined the table and ate with their fingers, with their hands. So this guy invites Jesus to his house. Verse 37, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Now most Bible scholars, historians tell us, highly likely, in fact I believe so, that this woman was a prostitute. Uh, a sinful woman is how she's referred to here by Luke. I think he's being kind and nice. He's trying not to paint an ugly picture, especially since she's about to become a sister in Christ. And, and probably a part of the church when Luke wrote this. But she was a sinful woman. And most believe she was quite probably a prostitute, but certainly immoral. Maybe she was like the woman at the well, if you remember that story, where she had five husbands and the guy she was living with was not the guy she was married to at the time. But whatever her condition, she's far from God. Let's read on. Verse 38. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. Now here's a little social insight of the day. Not cool. Very promiscuous, provocative, almost scandalous for a woman in that day to wear her hair down. In fact, typically their hair would be bound up and their head would be covered. And so for this woman to let her hair down and to wipe the feet of Jesus with that would have been like, oh, what is she doing? Who does she think she is? And that she kissed his feet would have been completely inappropriate, a huge taboo. Now, back then, like it's true today, there are two kinds of kissing. There's the erotic kind and the non-erotic affectionate kind. And there's the, the, the kind that we like to enjoy with those whom we are married to or passionately in love with. Like my wife, I love erotic kisses. 
for the record. But <laughs> non-erotic kind, affectionate kind, was very common. In fact, even more so in that day and age. It would have been very common for a woman to kiss a woman uh, in public, for a man to kiss another man on the cheek. But very uncommon, very no-no, don't go there for a woman to kiss a man that she wasn't related to. And this woman is continually kissing the feet of Jesus. Let's read on verse 39. When the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, didn't say it out loud, but thought this, if this man were a prophet, if Jesus were truly a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Let me be clear. Simon is disgusted. Imagine a hooker showing up in a tight dress at a church picnic, and you might begin to relate to the way Simon felt about this woman. Who does she think she is? He knew that men had paid her money to be touched by her and kissed by her. And, and he is absolutely put out that this woman is at his house when this situation with all his best friends and all these social elites that he's trying to impress, and this woman shows up and does this. He's not happy at all. In fact, I want to show you a picture. Obviously, they didn't have cameras back then, but this is an artist's rendition of what might have been happening. And I love this picture. I love it because you see the tenderness you see the compassion. You see the brokenness. She's kneeling at his feet. And you see the jar of alabaster, that, uh, that stone from, imported from Egypt, actually, with a, this priceless perfume, this very important and uh, expensive perfume in the bottle. Let's read on. Verse 40, Jesus answered him. He didn't hear Simon speak out loud. Maybe it's a word of knowledge. Maybe he saw the, the expression on Simon's face. But he answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. <laughs> well, tell me, teacher, he said. Verse 41, two people owned a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and another 50. Denarii, basically equivalent to one day's wage in that time. So one guy owed him almost two years' worth of wages, the other guy a couple of months. Okay. Jesus goes on. He said, neither of them had money to pay him back. They were busted, broke, had nothing. So this moneylender forgave the debts of both of them. And I think at this moment he's looking Simon in the eye and he says, now you tell me which of them will love him more. Simon replied, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt. The one who had the bigger debt forgiven, I suppose that guy. And I almost imagine Jesus going, is that your final answer? <laughs> yep, that's, that's good. And Jesus, I think probably with a smile, because he knows what's coming. You have judged correctly. You've, you've got it. Good answer. Verse 44, and this is powerful. See in that God-given imagination you have what's going on here. He turned toward the woman, this woman at his feet, and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. Customary. You did not wet my feet, uh, you did, but she was wet my feet with tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Essentially, Jesus is saying to Simon, Simon, you treated me like an unwanted step-uncle. You have not been kind to me. You have treated me with, with, with stinginess. You've been calculated in your response to me. But this woman whom you despise, this person you can't stand, she has treated me with extravagant love. And I bet at that moment you could have heard a mouse toot. Um, and if you don't know what tooting is, ask my granddaughter. She knows. I, I met, it was, at that moment you could have heard a pin drop. It was incredibly quiet and tense. And then Jesus goes on, verse 47, Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. Jesus knew. He knew she had lots of stuff, a lot of baggage. Her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. And then Jesus, again speaking to this woman, said to her, your sins are forgiven. A lot of us in this room have heard that from Jesus. 
We've experienced that forgiveness. And I want you to remember again that first moment when you knew. You knew in your knower that you were forgiven. Jesus looked at this woman and said, sweetheart, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this guy who thinks he can even forgive sins? Clearly understood in the Jewish culture and the Jewish mind, only God does that. Who does this guy think he is? And Jesus said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Can you imagine how she felt in that moment? Validated, accepted, and unconditionally loved by Jesus. The rabbis in Jesus' time would not even be caught dead talking to a woman in public unless they absolutely had to. Not going to happen for most of them. But Jesus completely and absolutely embraced this woman and her devotion. Simon misjudged Jesus, and he misjudged her. But what I want you to know is that as she walked out of that house in the cool of that evening, she walked out completely and absolutely forgiven, changed forever. forever. Jesus encountered this woman not in spite of her brokenness, but because of it, because he is God of the broken. Well, I want to take a look at some takeaways, three life-changing takeaways we can get from this story. Here's the first one. Number one, God not only embraces us in our brokenness, but he transforms our surrendered past into an instrument of worship and ministry. God not only embraces us in our brokenness, which I've been talking about for five minutes now, but he transforms. He has the power and the ability to transform our surrendered past. And key phrase there, surrendered past, into an instrument of worship and ministry. Maybe many of us, most of us perhaps, known the love of God. We have accepted that we are accepted in our brokenness. We get that. We're grateful that God has forgiven us of our many sins. But here's the deal. Too often, too many live consumed by regret and even despair. Because they just can't imagine how any good can come from that, from my past, what I've done. In fact, some of us, and me included, have failed so miserably. And you've heard my story, if you've been around here, of when I walked away from God in my early 20s and ended up far from him and did things that are unspeakable. Some of us have failed so miserably that we have believed the lie. And it is a lie from the pit of hell. That nothing good could come from that, not from what I've done. But the truth is, guys, listen to me. God can redeem and restore anything, anything surrendered to him, even our broken past. Anything put in his hands. He doesn't take those things that were bad and magically make them good. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what the scripture says. But he can bring something good out of our bad. It is his specialty. It's what he does. Long time ago, we pastored a church in Portland, Oregon. And had a young guy uh, come to our church, got radically saved. I mean, this kid, he, he was uh, uh, in an acid, acid rock band. If you don't know what acid rock is, it means you're as old as, uh, not as old as I am. But he was in an acid rock band. He was uh, a drug abuser, a drug addict, messed up. And showed up at our church. God began to do some things in his life. And he gave his life to Jesus and got radically saved. And he's one of those guys, doesn't happen very often. But I mean, when he got saved, he got delivered. Boom. The drug stuff, just he was done. It was over with in his life. But about two months into his relationship with Jesus, he came to me. It was after church one day, and he said, man, it's really too bad that God's not going to be able to use my talent and the skill and my love for music. And, and I, I was almost, I remember because I was like, what? I said, who told you that? And he mumbled something, and I said, dude, listen to me. God can and will redeem anything. He'll restore that talent, and it can be used for him if you'll surrender to him. He can redeem or restore anything. He can use that. 
for his glory. And I tell you what, at that moment I remember because he started wailing. In fact, he grabbed me and for about five minutes he slobbered all over my shirt because he was so moved by the fact that God could redeem and actually use something he thought was unredeemable. God can use anything surrendered to him. In Romans 8, this great chapter begins in verse 1 with a declaration. But there isn't any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. There isn't any condemnation for those who are in relationship with Jesus. That means that we can live free from judgment, free from the fear of God's wrath, if we are in relationship with Jesus. Because he paid the price for that, we don't have to live worried about it anymore. And this chapter goes on. In Romans chapter 8, one of my all-time favorites in the book of Romans, maybe in the entire New Testament. And if you haven't read it in a while, read Romans 8 this week. But in Romans 8, 28 says this. We know that God, God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. God causes everything. Now some think, well, does that everything include my past? Or is that even what God's talking about here? Does it include my present, my future? What does this everything mean? In my book, everything means everything. And this reality is very consistent with the nature of God and with the word that we see, where we see over and over and over again how God takes people who are messed up and he restores, he redeems, and he, he repairs their life. He gives them a new life and uses even something from their past as an, as an instrument of worship and ministry for him. Where is this, this scene in this story? Where did I get this from here? Well, it's revealed in this woman's use of the alabaster jar of perfume. The very jar of perfume she used to anoint the feet of Jesus. You see, historians tell us that in that day, uh, perfume was typically used as part of the trade for a prostitute. Not only was it used to lure her clients in, not only was it used to seduce men, but quite frankly, because uh, there was a serious problem in that day and age with body odor, they didn't take showers every day, and Old Spice is not that old, uh, they, they, they would use it. They would use it not only to lure men in, but you know, to actually flavor, so to speak, the entire experience from something pretty ugly and bad to something powerfully strong. And here's what I don't you want to miss. Listen to me. This same perfume that she had used to seduce men, bought quite probably with money she'd earned on her back, to be honest with you, is now being poured out in humble adoration as an act of worship to God. God took something that was broken and he used it for something beautiful. An encounter with Jesus transformed something of her sordid past into something amazing and beautiful. And so here's the question I want to ask you today. What lie do you believe about your past? We all have a past. What lie do you believe about yours? Have you thought, oh, God could never redeem that, never use it? There's no good that can ever come from that. Listen to me. God is a redeemer. He's a restorer. Nothing is too hard for him. If it's surrendered to him, God can transform it into something used for him. Here's the second thing. Number two, God sees beyond who we were. And what we've done to who and what we can become in him. And I love this about God, that he sees way beyond who we were and what we've done to who and what we can become in him. Simon saw a whore. I know it sounds terrible to put it that way, but that's what Simon saw. That's why he was so disgusted. But Jesus saw a woman that was very precious to God. Simon saw her for what she was. Jesus saw a woman buried by the horrible weight of her sins, and yet he saw her for what she could and would become through God's grace. Jesus saw what could happen. Often we only see the wrong in people. Let's just get real. Let's be honest. It's church. We can, we can tell the truth here. It's good. 
Sometimes we see the worst in people. We only see what's wrong about them. In self-righteous arrogance, we look down on the down and out sometimes. I have. I'll own it. We are so quick sometimes to label people loser, dweeb, idiot, dirtbag, fill in your favorite title. And we may not say it out loud, but we think it. And we often ignore and dismiss our own sin while we shake our head in disgust at the sins of others. We ignore our stuff while we point a finger, shake our head, and just have disgust for others. Two years ago, Laura and I were downtown, and we often go down there, and Monday's my day off, and I love spending time with my best friend. And we had gone to lunch together at Olive Garden, and uh, we were walking out, we were going to see a, a mindless movie of some sort, I'm sure. And we walked around the corner there onto the main drag, and there he is, the dirtiest, grungiest, smelliest panhandler I've ever seen in my life. And I've seen quite a few. Of course, he said, can you spare any change? Anything will help? And I am embarrassed to tell you that my response was not very good. I didn't say anything. I, 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 I just shook my head, but everything in my body language, everything about the way I treated that guy was I treated him with contempt. And I walked around him, and I, I shook my head, and I was, I was just, I was mad. Man, I'm on my day off, for heaven's sakes. Don't bother me. Don't, who do you think, why are you down here? And I just, oh, I had a horrible attitude. I'm maybe 10 feet down the sidewalk, and I'm not kidding. I mean, just a few feet down from this guy, and it wasn't a physical thing, but it was like God just whacked me in the back of the head. And it was in that moment that I heard the Holy Spirit, and again, not an audible voice, but the way God speaks to our heart says, Bubna, did you just treat that guy like I would? Now, I wish I could tell you my immediate response was, oh, God, forgive me. In fact, my first response was, God, you, did you see him? He smells so strongly of alcohol. I was afraid if somebody walked by with a cigarette in their mouth, we'd all explode in a ball of fire. I mean, I'm trying to rationalize and justify my treatment of this guy to God. And have you ever noticed that God's a little bit like a pit bull sometimes? Doesn't get, you know, let, you know, let you go that easy. And, and, and he, Kurt, did you treat that guy like I would? And I knew. Busted. I knew. No. I did not. I said, honey, just a minute. I turned around and walked back. I apologized. I said, man, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, didn't, I didn't respond to you. I didn't treat you well. I reacted. I'm really sorry. And I had to have that leftover food, in a, you know, those little styrofoam things from Olive Garden. I said, would you like my leftovers from Olive Garden? <laughs> Olive Garden, yep. Took it in a heartbeat. I didn't give him money, and I typically don't do that, but I offered him what I had, and I asked him to forgive me. I said, I'm really sorry. I turned around and walked away, and I realized, you know what? How I treat people is, is important, and what I see. And what Simon saw was a whore. Often we look at people with the wrong eyes. And, I, and listen, I'm not making a political or cultural statement about the issue of panhandling. I know it's kind of a hot button for some. But I am cha challenging you to wrestle with this question. What do you see when you look at people? What do you see? What's in your heart when you see a runaway kid at the bus stop downtown? What do you see? What's going through your head when you see a, a single mom in front of you at Fred Meyer using food stamps? What's in your heart? What's going on in your mind when you hear about so-and-so going through a divorce? You get all up in you and self-righteous about it. <laughs> What's happening here and here? What do you feel when you find out that you work with or, God forbid, live next door to an ex-con? Let me make it clear. Let me be very painfully clear about this. 
Jesus didn't come for the best and the brightest. He came for the busted and the broken. Can I get an amen from anybody? Amen. He didn't come for the best and the brightest. And if that happens to describe you, I'm happy for you. But Jesus didn't come for the best and the brightest. He came for the busted and the broken. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save the lost. The lost. What do you see when you look at people? Does your heart break with the things that break the heart of God? Jesus addressed this nasty human tendency we have to judge people in a mini parable found in Luke 18. And verse 9 says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. And I love it when sometimes parables we go, huh, what does that mean? What's going on there? This is really clear. Jesus, you know, said, this is my point. To those who think they're self-righteous and look down on everybody else, listen to this. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, just like Simon. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. In that culture, tax collectors were right under dirt scum. They were, they were horrible. They, did, they were not respected. They were hated. Two guys, one a Pharisee, one who thinks he's got all together, another guy who everybody would say, the Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, and adulterers, or even like that despised, wicked, ugly, horrible tax collector. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. And then Jesus brought his point home really well. Verse 14, I tell you that this man, who? The tax collector. This man, rather than the other, who thought he had it all together, went home justified before God. Justified meant just as if he'd never sinned. Went home righteous. Went home okay in relationship with God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Who gets God's attention? The broken, the humble, those who beat their breast and cry out, oh God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. From the first moment Jesus and this simple woman encountered each other, she saw something different in his eyes. A lot of you women would probably relate to this, but most of her life, she'd seen two things in the eyes of the men around her, either lust or disgust. Those who thought, that's hot. Lust or disgust. They wouldn't even go near her. Most of her life, that's what she'd experienced from every man she'd ever encountered. But she saw something different in the eyes of Jesus. She saw in his eyes and in the face of this man that he was a accepting and loving and embracing, and he was about to become her savior. Again, what do people see in your eyes? What do you see when you look at them? God sees their potential. He sees what they can become in him. Here's the last thing, number three, and I'll be brief. But this is so important. A normal response to the scandalous grace of God in their lives is a passionate devotion for him. A normal response to the scandalous, and it is. If you get grace, it's scandalous. What? I can't believe that God, that God, that's just, that doesn't even make sense. How could you love people like me, like that? A normal response to the scandalous grace of God in our lives is a passionate devotion for him. It would make sense that this woman of ill repute when she first approached Jesus was probably quite tentative. Not sure what to expect. Not sure what she, how she would be treated. She took a huge risk. 
Because she didn't know. But the more she saw the love of Jesus through his eyes, the more she loved him in return. In fact, she wept so hard, her tears were able to wash the feet of Jesus. And she kissed his callous feet. And make no mistake about it, his feet weren't pretty. A lot of calluses. They walked hundreds, thousands of miles and in dirt and dust and other things I won't mention in church. His feet were not pretty, and yet she kissed those feet with tender adoration. And only one drop of that very expensive perfume would have been enough to fill the whole room. She poured it out. She held nothing back in her love for him. C.S. Lewis, who of late's become fairly well-known in almost, you know, our culture because of the Chronicles of Narnia, was really one of the greatest theologians of the 20th century, wrote many books from fiction to theology books that would hurt your brain. Amazing man, gifted guy. I love him. I've read everything he's ever written. But C.S. Lewis once described worship this way, and I love this quote. He described worship as inner health made audible. It's inner health. It's when God transforms us. It's this inner health then made audible. It's this expression of our love to him. In other words, the more we encounter Jesus, the more we experience his love, the more we know his grace, mercy, and forgiveness, the more passionate our expression of devotion will be to him. It's normal. When you and I remember, and that's the challenge, but when we remember our sins and all that God has done for us, when we remember the depth of his compassion for us, I believe that's when we will be energized to worship and to respond to him. I truly believe that Jesus was making an important point when he said only a great sinner can become a great lover of God. This woman loved much because she's been forgiven much. His point is only a great sinner can become a great lover of God. And some of you think, oh, well, I guess I got a problem because I'm not. <laughs> yes, we are all great sinners. We all share this in common. We must see that we all are in need of his forgiveness and his grace and that it's his grace and his goodness that has brought us to where we are. And the person who realizes the magnitude of their own sin and the amazing goodness and grace and kindness of God will love as this woman loved with humble, desperate, passionate devotion and adoration. Over the years, uh, more than once, <laughs> I've had someone ask me, how come you cry a lot in church? And I've had somebody actually a couple times say to me, I don't know, when you're down front and you're lifting your hands in worship, you're probably just doing that because you think everybody's watching you, right? And I usually smile, and you need to know, first off, I don't think about you when I'm in worship. I'm thinking about Jesus, and I, I, you're not even a thought in my mind. Trust me. I am lost in worship and love and adoration of him. But here's what I tell people. You know what? I cannot help. I cannot help but get emotional at times and expressive in my worship because I know how much he loves me. I know how much he's forgiven me of. I wish we could live with that awareness all the time. I don't, but the more I do, the more I worship. The more I realize how good he's been, how kind he's been, how much he's forgiven me of, the more I live with that awareness day in and day out, the more it's natural for me, and it will be for you, to express that devotion to him. When we encounter the scandalous grace of God in our lives, and many of us have, and we live in an awareness of that, then the normal response of your heart will be to worship him, to love him, 
to tell them, oh God, I love you. And I'm not saying you've got to be emotional. I'm not suggesting that you have to do what I do. What I am saying is there needs to be some expression of devotion from you. Something in your way, in your heart, that truly does engage when you remember and come to worship him. And for some of you today even, maybe as we finish in this last song in just a moment, it'll be the first time where you take your hands out of your pockets or untake them from your, fold them from your arms, and maybe you just go a little like this. Or maybe you do the satellite thing like this. Or maybe you actually begin to, for the first time, maybe you cover your heart in, 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 in adoration of him. Maybe you kneel in worship of him. But my challenge to you, and don't worry about the person next to you. That is not what matters. What matters is when you recall, when you remember, when you know how good he's been, how great his love is for you, then it's normal to express. How many of you, do not raise your hands or answer out loud, how many of you would have a hard time in your marriage if your husband or your wife never expressed their devotion to you? Told her I loved her the day I married her back in 1962. I mean, you know, I bring the bacon home. What else does she need? I mean, how healthy would your relationship be if you didn't express that devotion? What about in your friendships? If you never told, man, I really, you're important to me. I love you, man. You're so, you're my buddy. You're my pal. You're my, if you never did that, if there never was this affirmation, this expressed devotion to the people around you, then how healthy, how strong will those relationships be? And some of you, I have seen you. How many of you excited about football starting up? Yeah, see, there's expressed devotion. Some of you go bananas at, at things like football and soccer and worship concerts, and, and, and yet we come to worship and you're, you don't know what to do. I'm not encouraging wildness. Do not draw attention to yourself. That's not my point. It's all about him. But what I am encouraging you to do today is to express your devotion to him. Show him how much you love him. When you get how much he loves you, that's the normal thing. Bow your heads, let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for your love, for your kindness. God, I pray this morning that not one person sitting in this room or watching this online would be able to walk away today from the scandalous grace of God, that they would encounter you and that you would encounter them even in their brokenness. That God, that you would show them today how kind and good you are and that the response of their heart would be, oh God, oh God, you're so good to me. I, am, I, I, I need your grace. I need your love. And I'm so grateful for it. That we would stand in worship in adoration of you. That we would express that, God, because we've experienced the depth of your love for us. That your grace, God, would capture our hearts again today. And that you would not only do that personally for us, but God, that you would transform us in the way we look at people, the way we treat others around us. That we would see them somehow through your eyes. That person we work with, that guy we go to school with, that neighbor, that person that pushes all our buttons. God, would you please help us to see them the way you do today. To see them through your eyes, Jesus. To look at people the way you do. With grace kindness, with love. I'm asking you to keep your head bowed and your eyes closed just for a minute. Maybe you're here today and you've not yet experienced personally that grace of God. You've heard about it. You've heard about it this morning. You've thought about it. You've kind of read about it. You've been investigating it. But today, something in you knows that you need to encounter it. 
that you need to experience that grace personally in your life, that you need to begin your life as a Christ follower, and you know you need his forgiveness. You know you need that grace. You know it's time to say yes to him and to surrender your life to him and experience that transformation that comes from relationship with him. You thought you had to get your life all cleaned up and figured out and straightened out before you could come to God. No, not at all. You come to him in your brokenness, in your sin. You come to him right where you're at. You say, oh, God, here I am. Have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. And God embraces you just as you are. And then he changes you from the inside out. And to begin, that is a choice you make, a choice that only you can make to say yes to God. And I'm going to pray a very simple prayer right now. And every week, two, three, four, five people make this decision right here at East Point. And if you want to begin your life as a Christ follower today, just make this prayer yours. In your heart, say, yeah, God, that's me. That's what I want. Make this prayer yours. Father, forgive me. I need your grace. I, I need the, the mercy of Jesus. I need the forgiveness that Jesus purchased for me, that he, he, he made possible for me on the cross. And so today I come to you admitting my brokenness, admitting my sin, admitting my need for Savior. I can hardly believe that you love me the way you do. I can hardly believe that you're that good. But God, today I surrender. I say yes to you. Today I begin my life as your child, following you. Come into my heart, my life. Transform me. Change me. Help me to become the man or woman you want me to be. Now listen, if that's your heart, that's your desire, then in your, your way, you say yes to God. Yep, that's me. And the Bible says the instant you do, you become his child. You begin that journey from here to eternity as a child of Jesus, child of the Father, as a, as a forgiven person from this point on. Lord, for those making that decision, show them what it means. Show them what you're doing. Show them what you're going to do. Show them that scandalous grace of God in their lives right now. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to finish with a song that always eats my lunch, to be honest with you. Um, I will be blubbering right here. My encouragement to you, listen, can I encourage you? Express your devotion to him. Maybe some of you, the first service, some did. Maybe you'll need to come down and you want to just kneel. Nothing special about being down front, but you'll know, you know, as an act of devotion, you need to come and kneel at the feet of Jesus. Maybe you need to kneel where you're at. Maybe you want to lift your hands. Maybe you need to just uh, stand there in silence as we worship and be bathed by the mercy and the love of God. I don't know what you need to do, but you do. And I want to challenge you, express that devotion to him right now as we sing this song. We're going to pass the offering. We're going to give. Give is an expression of devotion as well. But let's worship, and I'll come back and wrap it up. Jesus, your love for us goes beyond what we can even begin to comprehend. It takes my breath away, Jesus, when I think about how good you've been to me, how much you love me, and how much you love us. And God, it has been and will continue to be my prayer that we as individuals and as a church, that we, Lord, encounter that love in such a powerful way that it continues to transform us, continues to change us, continues to lead us to become the men and women that you want us to be, and that we would shine, God, in this world as lights in the midst of darkness as those who have been loved in love. That we'd be marked by that love, God, marked forever by that love, and that people would look at us and that they would see not religiosity, not self-righteousness, not arrogance, not pride, 
but that they would see that we we are the broken we are the broken and that you love us that you're the God of the broken thank you Jesus the last thing Jesus said to that woman your sins are forgiven your faith has saved you go in peace your sins are forgiven if you know him if you've given your life to him listen to the power of those words he's saying it to you right now your sins are forgiven no yeah buts no what about no yeah no your sins are forgiven and it is your faith in him that has saved you and today because of that you too can go in peace if you need prayer prayer team will be down front there's communion available both sides of the room but I want to ask you I want to challenge you go with his eyes go with his heart and go in peace God bless you guys thanks for coming today